Better Call Saul Season 2 Episode 9 is over, but we are just getting started here on the Better Call Saul post-show recap here on postshowrecap.com. And now, here are the two guys who never leave it to Beaver. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Antonio Mazzara. Antonio, how are you? Never, Rob. Never. We're never leaving it to that at all. I'm I'm Wall. Are you Jerry, Jerry Mathers as the Beaver? Are you Wally? What's going on here? I've been told I'm more Eddie Haskell. <laughs> That's too bad, but it's very nice to meet you, Mrs. Sesternino. Thank you for having me over for dinner. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Enough. Enough of this uh, nonsense here. I think we're ready to talk about what I think, in my mind, and many people, is the best episode of Better Call Saul season two. Definitely the best episode of Better Call Saul season two. Arguably one of the best of the series. I think many people have that opinion, but I think unquestionably Better Call Saul finishing on a high note. Uh, we have one episode left, but this is a very strong lead into the finale. So good on Better Call Saul for bringing the hammers out at the end of the season here. Okay, so let's not even mess around. Of course, uh, the finale coming up uh, one week from tonight, and uh, we'll talk about that all next week on Poster Recaps. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to Poster Recaps. Go to Poster Recaps com slash iTunes or for just better call Saul that dedicated feed uh recaps.com slash BCS iTunes. All right, Antonio, just let's just jump right into this. Uh, is Chuck dead? Chuck is not dead yet. Uh, I think that's possible that Chuck could be dead in the future. I think there's a very interesting kind of plot line with Jimmy and his role with Chuck. If Chuck is incapacitated, that I think we could still mine for some information or for some good storyline stuff here. So I think it's important for Chuck to be alive. But as to what state Chuck's going to be in, besides New Mexico, uh, I don't think it's going to be a good one. I really don't. Do you think Chuck's dead? Or are we going to see? An, uh, are we going to see Chuck in a vegetative state? Maybe like a potato all right going back to breaking bad i do feel like that this was very much a head benicky situation where we saw that he had a i i feel like a, a pretty similar type gruesome accident he did not die from those circumstances but he was a quadriplegic after that i'm not even sure if i have the right medical terminology so i say chuck probably is not dead but this really does create a lot of problems because the paramedics i think are going to be called to the jimmy like call 911 call 911 i i don't know i really don't know what's what's going to happen but i mean this really went from sort of like this like um more of the jimmy trying to get one over on his brother to turning into a very grave situation where Jimmy potentially could have killed his own brother inadvertently. Yeah, there is really a lot to unpack with that. And we can, we really should get into all of the intricacies of how, if that plays out that way, or even if it plays out with a vegetative state, like I said, like a potato, like he's always wrapping himself in foil. Uh, I think we need to really talk about exactly how that could play out because Jimmy didn't necessarily go there of his own volition. Kim certainly talked Jimmy into without saying the direct words, mm -hmm. getting up and making sure he had no loose ends. Uh, and so if this ultimately ends with Chuck's demise, how is Kim going to wear that? What's that going to feel like for her? And how is this all going to play out with the poor guy <laughs> there at the coffee shop or at the copy shop? Uh, the, the guy that was being bribed. I just don't think it's going to go well for anybody really. Uh, Lance at the copy shop or Ernie that's there that knows Jimmy's involved in this. Um, this is just a really bad scenario all the way around and like i said it's compounded by the fact that this won't be if chuck goes into the hospital it isn't just instantly dead 
This won't be the first time we've seen Chuck in the hospital. He was hospitalized in season one after an incident, which again was predicated by Jimmy. Not as directly that time. This is the time where Jimmy stole Chuck's paper because he didn't want to see Chuck. He didn't want Chuck to see that he pulled off the billboard stunt. And Chuck ended up tased by the police and hospitalized. And that was the time where it became clear that Jimmy had Chuck's sort of power of attorney and could make decisions for Chuck in instances like this. uh, And maybe had the power to, in fact, fully divest Chuck from HHM. And that was a big storyline in season one. If Chuck is fully incapacitated, Jimmy's going to have a lot of power. And what's he going to do with that? How's it going to affect what happens with Kim? There's a lot in play for this finale and maybe even beyond. So this is a great setup. So what do you think that he could potentially do? You think that he could, uh, for lack of a better term, pull the plug on Chuck? He could pro- he could potentially do that. He could potentially cash Chuck out of HHM with Chuck being fully incapacitated at the beginning of season one. That was the debate, whether or not Jimmy was going to be able to do that, whether Chuck was actually incapacitated uh, by his condition and that power that Jimmy had, wh- whether it could be used or not. And Howard was kind of trying to run the end around. I don't think there's going to be any question that if Chuck is brain dead, that Jimmy's going to be in the position to do that. This could be the end of HHM as we know it, Rob. This is crazy stuff that is happening as a result of what chuck losing his mind in a copy shop this is the sort of drama that we when we sign up and we say we're going to podcast about better call saul we loved breaking bad i think this is the kind of stuff that we're really looking for these sorts of horrible scenes that emerge from maybe a plan that wasn't really formed to have that happen whether it's a train robbery that ends with a very shocking death or uh, whether it's any number of scenes like that from breaking bad this is the sort of territory this show these shows really trade in and i think this is a great setup for better call saul to move forward from for sure well and i really feel like thematically this was an episode which was called nailed which obviously on surface speaks to what mike did with the hose last week you saw both mike and saul both feel like they seemingly got away with the perfect plan and in both instances we find out from mike not only did he get caught by nacho which he left his calling card which was not killing people uh which i do believe that (laughs) in mike terms is as half measure as it gets where it really that it was completely clear that it had to have been him because anybody else from the cartel would have just killed that guy. And then we find out that Hector shot a good Samaritan in the face and got somebody innocent killed because of what Mike did. And also Nacho knows that Mike was the person who did this, which uh, Mike thought it was the perfect crime. And then, too, with Jimmy, that he felt like not only did he get away with the perfect crime the first time around, but that even that Kim was sort of okay with it and that he sort of danced around what Chuck was coming for him, was able to bribe the guy in the coffee shop. And he felt like he was getting away with that, too, before what happens with Chuck. And it really does put us in a very interesting position with both of these characters going into the finale. Yeah, you're right. And and I think what's really interesting about that is we know what these what both of these characters are like from Breaking Bad, and they're different. Uh, as you point out, this is not this is what Mike would consider a half measure, and that's not the Mike we know from Breaking Bad. Jimmy McGill in Better Call Saul uh, is not the same Saul Goodman who tells 
Walt, maybe somebody should just go to Belize. Like maybe you should kill somebody. Uh, and who is really encouraging that sort of criminal activity. And a lot of people have speculated, how can we get to that point where someone's so cavalier about murder from the Jimmy McGill we see now? A guy who has a heart, a guy who is caring, a guy who does try to look out for the little guy. How does that guy become the kind of guy who's so cavalier about murder uh, as he is with Saul Goodman, the kind of guy that has a fixer like Mike on his payroll? And I think we're starting to see these sorts of things emerge, which drive both of these characters further into the darkness, which teach them that you can't really go at it half. You have to be the kind of person you have to embrace what you want and you have to really embrace it. There's a great Rob for once story sync really came through. Mm-hmm. There was a great kind of uh, the, uh, a reference back to breaking bad with the Drew Sharp incident where Mike is telling Walter and Jesse basically like, there are two guys there. You know, there are two kinds of heist, the, the, the ones that people get away with and the ones where people leave witnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, this is the kind of thing where Mike is in the, the latter situation right now through his own doing. Uh, and later he's dispensing wisdom about how it's right to get rid of witnesses. And now he's not doing it. So this is these are the lessons that these characters bring into the next roles that they occupy. I just, this is a terrible thing for Jimmy, just an absolutely awful thing for Jimmy. And yet, Rob, and yet, it reminds me an awful lot of Walter with Jane in Breaking Bad because he's just sort of sitting there watching in and just watching it happen and watching it all play out, knowing that he's responsible for this and seeing it happen, saying, call 911, call instead of storming into the place and calling 911 himself, instead of doing all that, he's just sort of sitting back and watching it happen. And that's monstrous. It's, Ah, it's hard to watch, but that's uh, that's Jimmy McGill not being very Jimmy McGill in that moment. And it's tough to see. So for Jimmy, in terms of how this can go really bad for him, do you think that this is going to turn back to him where it's going to end up where he's given up and he's going to end up in more trouble? Or do you think that this is going to be a situation where he's going to have to deal with more guilt? So basically, are the problems for Jimmy, do you feel like, are they going to come from internally in terms of demons with how to deal with this or external forces in terms of the police getting involved and there being investigations and the kid from the copy shop ultimately giving him up and telling Ernesto what happened. Do you think it's going to be that or more just having to deal with this? I think it's going to be more the internal. Uh, and I think it's tough because on what should have been one of the best days of his life, the next day when his commercial debuts, it's going to be a horrible time. He's going to be in the hospital. He might actually see that commercial debut in the hospital, Rob. Like you may see it mm-hmm. on a hospital TV. You talk about bittersweet. Like that's the moment he should, that should be his crowning achievement for this season. He's finally struck out on his own. He's got the confidence that he's been struggling to make this commercial guerrilla style and he pulls off what he believes is the best 60 seconds in the history of television and he's watching it from an emergency room lobby where his brother is dying perhaps because of his own actions. And I think that it's hard not to internalize that. And I think, again, the bigger struggle is the issue with Kim, wherein she definitely recognizes, are we on the same page about this? She recognizes that Chuck is correct about what Jimmy did. Oh, absolutely. I believe that she's actually gone into full Skylar mode in terms of that. I know what is going on here. I'm just going to either, I'm going to enjoy the benefits of that. And I'm going to pretend that it's not happening. Yeah. And that's rough because we've talked a lot on this podcast this season about Which how Jimmy- I, it's probably more. I'd say maybe if I was going to say uh, probably more along the lines of Carmela Soprano than uh, then 
than Skyler, who was actually facilitating in the money laundering and like, <laughs> so, so, you know, so probably in terms of like uh, how complicit these uh, significant others are, that's probably where she like, I know what's going on. I'm just going to pretend that, you know, it's I'm not going to acknowledge it. Yeah. And I think that I think the difference would be that I think you're right in terms of seeing Skyler as more of a as this kind of. Uh, Skyler was very good with finances and money, and Skyler was very good with cooking books and right. very smart about that sort of thing. Carmela, she just sort of passively let things in her to her benefit, whereas Skyler was actively involved. And uh, I would say that this is probably more along the lines of Skyler, even though Kim is pretending to be more passive like Carmela. I think this is a, I think this is more of a Skyler thing. And like I was saying, we've said all along this season that. Jimmy is bad for Kim and he is pulling her down. You talk about breaking bad. She is now at this point complicit in the heist of Mesa Verde. And she knows about that, but she's the one who basically told Jimmy as he's going to bed, like, you know what you really need to do. If you're going to go to war against a guy like Chuck, you better make sure you don't have any cracks. You got your defenses. I, you know, she is telling him, go cover your tracks. Mm -hmm. He gets right up out of bed. He goes to cover his tracks and this is what happens. As I see it, that is a major problem. Talk about internal versus external. There's an internal issue there, but it will be internal to Kim, and it will cause external problems for Jimmy with his relationship with Kim. And honestly, it's just DOA. Whether or not Chuck's DOA, I think the relationship at this point is DOA. I don't see how you come back from from all of this. It's horrible, horrible stuff. Right? Well, I was so surprised that she obviously knew what was going on that after that scene with Chuck, where she Chuck is explaining his whole thing, and she's like, "I know, I just think that you're wrong. You made a mistake, and you're blaming your brother, and I think that's sad." And you know, she gives this really impassioned speech. Uh, you never believed in him. You never wanted him to succeed. I feel sorry for him, and I feel sorry for you. But then I'm like, "Oh, he got away with it." And then she gets in the car and she punches him. And I said, "Okay, well, what does this mean for Jimmy, and what does this mean for Kim?" But then we saw them in bed together, where it's like, "Okay, I am going to, you know, enjoy the uh, spoils of victory, but I'm just going to acknowledge that this isn't how it happened." And then, you know, then she does give him that, you know, marching orders to be like, "Boy, if I was going to go up against Chuck, hypothetically, I would make sure I'd have everything uh, crossed off." So. She is is definitely on board with this, but you're right. At the point where it turns into that Chuck is seriously wounded and or potentially going to be dead, I don't think that Kim has the stomach for that. Right. And the thing is, where we saw them when they're in the bed is sort of the the kind of thing where we saw them in the bed previously after squad cobblers. I don't want to hear about this sort of thing anymore. And so it, it's almost Kim saying, Jimmy, you're going to be Jimmy. I'm not going to deny you the right to be Jimmy. I can smell it a mile away. I know what you're doing. You're not pulling the wool over my eyes. I just don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. And so that's why in the, in the bed there, when she's working on her paperwork, she says things in a very roundabout way. It both acknowledges the fact that she knows what's up and she's telling him what to do, but she's not overtly talking about it. She's not really telling him, like, you better go cover your tracks on this Mesa Verde thing. She's basically doing it in a very kind of way that protects her. And I think that that is already a problem for him. I think that that's already a major issue between the two of them that they haven't worked out. And Jimmy basically, I think he asked at, at, at some point, like, do you want to talk about this? And she's like, not ever. You know, I don't want to talk about it. This is not what's going to happen. And so she talks about it very vaguely. And this is where we end up. And vaguely. 
Yeah, she talks about it very Ed Begley. <laughs> Clifford Maine comes into play, uh, which is very weird for him to be in their bedroom. And she's doing a Clifford Maine. No, uh, it is uh, it is a very odd thing. The nothing for him to find. She says it so sternly. It's awesome. I mean, it's just it's great stuff for these characters. Horrible stuff for the the the, the great archetypes of uh, the positive things that they were bringing to the table before. Kim is just circling the drain at this point, and I think that she's there because of Jimmy. And whether or not she deserved to win Mesa Verde on her own or not, I don't think it even really matters at this point because it is so damn tainted. And that is sick and sad to see. I don't know. It was already sad seeing Chuck melt down in court like that. Did you get any schadenfreude out of that, Rob? Were you happy to see the the banking hearing go so south for Chuck? I felt bad even in that scene. Well, yeah, you see like just how tortured he is from his condition. And as we have theorized before on this show where it's, you know, when these Jimmy episodes happen to him, like things end up, you know, being where he is uh, experiencing slipping Jimmy type stuff. That's when his condition worsens and worsens. And I think that that episode in the copy shop is what really put him over the edge. Yeah, and I think that that's right. And I think what we'll see ultimately, if the next episode, Rob, begins with more Rebecca stuff, maybe some information about how she and Chuck didn't work out, or maybe Chuck's the, the, the genesis of his condition, finding out how it all started, et cetera, et cetera, then I think that could spell doom for Chuck next episode. But do you think that we need that? I mean, do you feel like that we need to see more of where it went south with Rebecca? I don't think we need to see it, but I feel like they're leaving a lot of potential on the table if they don't address it. I think that knowing that Jimmy could have played a role in things going south with Rebecca, introducing her in an episode and then never really using her again uh, and played by uh, played by, you know, a, a Cusack, like played by somebody that's recognizable. I don't know. I just think that if if we don't go there again with Chuck, we are missing out. We don't need it. But I think the show can get a lot more out of that, as well as how did his condition first start? And was Jimmy involved with that? Because what you're saying about us theorizing, I think, is legit about how these major blowups that Chuck has had, the major problems, the time he was hospitalized, as we talked about earlier, those are predicated by Jimmy's actions. So was Chuck's condition overall predicated by Jimmy? If so, how? We haven't seen that yet. And so I really would like to see that play out because I do think we're leaving something on the table if we don't. But that said, I can see them working both of those into the cold open of next episode. And here we are. And then in terms of where Kim and Jimmy go from here, you're right that I feel like I don't know how this relationship can survive this. I feel like at the point where Kim finds out what happened to Chuck, she's out. This is done. There's no coming back. And if we lose Chuck and we lose Kim, I don't even know what this show looks like in season three. Yeah, uh, it looks like Breaking Bad <laughs> at that point. We may as well just transition over. And I, you can openly wonder if they were leaving the door open to do that, not knowing if they would get a season three when they wrote this. I'm not sure that's the case. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that we're going we're gonna to leave it so that one or both of those characters can be on the show. Because, I mean, if you lose Chuck and Chuck dies and you lose Kim for some reason, you pretty much lose HHM at that point. Mm -hmm. So that means Howard's out of the show as well. And so then who do you have? You've got Mike. You've got Jim. Me, and then what do you reset with Nacho, uh, 
and the characters that we've got that are on the side. I suppose you could do that. And maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe they maybe they just decided that we've got two seasons worth of Jimmy versus Chuck and that's enough. But I feel like we're really just getting into uh, the good of how this all plays out. And I feel like there is that backstory still on the table and we haven't really gotten into that. So I don't know. I think it's fascinating. I think that the show does such a fantastic job of showing what could be versus the reality of what ultimately is because of the forces that are within people that they can't control or that they give into that cause them to make bad decisions. I love the shots tonight, Rob, where Kim is finding out about Mesa Verde and she's going to get them back. And they're in that dentist's office and there's the rainbow on the wall. And when you see the perspective of Jimmy, Kim looks like a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. She's standing right there. She's on the phone. Everything's happy. Everything's great. And while she's first finding out, Jimmy's in the background. He's totally visible. He's hearing this because he knows what caused Mesa Verde to come back. He just doesn't know the full details of how it played out. But he knows that it was his actions that did this. So there's so much subtext to these scenes, and there's so much great character stuff that happens. I just don't think we can fully lose Kim or Chuck. But I think that if we're going to see either of them going forward, it has to be in a more evolved way for this story to make organic and natural sense for the way these characters behave. I think that we lose Chuck. I don't think Chuck makes it out of season two. <laughs> you think Michael McKean's too big of a name to keep on this show for more than a couple seasons? No, I don't think it's that. I just think that I don't know how many more stories that we can tell between Chuck and Jimmy. I think that we see Chuck hit his head here. I think that we end up with a situation where uh, I don't think that he's dead at the start of the episode, but I wonder if by the end of the episode, like, I, I just don't know how, you know, we, we, you know, a crippled Chuck moves forward in the story. I kind of feel like that he has served his usefulness in the story. And I think that it's time to progress past this. I mean, the show needs to make progress. And I think that if you lose Chuck here, if his character dies, but and now the relationship between Jimmy and Kim is now severely fractured. And, you know, where we see that, you know, Kim is still you could figure out a way to use her in season three. But I feel like that we're sort of just going in circles where, you know, the Chuck relationship, how many different battles can we have between Jimmy and Chuck. I mean, I don't know how many different like Chuck is sort of bound to the house. His condition is worsening other than, you know, him trying to like get into the law office. How many more fights? I mean, it seems like that Jimmy is just outflanking Chuck at every turn. Yeah. So let's let's look into that a little bit. What if he hits his head, Rob? And as a result of him hitting his head, he's cured. Boy, I feel like that's a little soap opera now. I agree completely. Uh, these are these are just the things that have popped up on the internet. People have tweeted at us, or uh, I've seen floating around in different places. So that's one option. Another option is. Uh, can AMC withstand whether or not Chuck is dead? Whether we, what if we don't find out by the end of next episode whether Chuck is dead? Can we withstand an AMC is a character dead cliffhanger? I think that we have withstood worse. We have we we are in the midst of it. I believe. Right. Uh, yes, we we uh, we have withstood worse on AMC. We can withstand that. I don't so think that's that a possibility. We will see Chuck in some sort of like harassed by the media over the next uh, nine months. <laughs> that's a possibility. That it that could Michael, happen. Michael, could you tell us is Chuck going to be back? Like I can't say anything. I am. I'm going I'll to be take there. A lie detector. 
My character <laughs> is dead. Yes, I am dead. Yes, and he's like equivocating because he's brain dead, but he comes back, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, no, I I thought I saw a dumpster in that coffee shop, King, uh, in, right in there. I just thought I saw for sure a dumpster there that he might have been able to slide under. So we'll see. No, I th- so that's a possibility that we don't know if Chuck is dead or alive. I'm interested to hear from people in the comments here if you feel like we need the stories of what happened to Chuck and Rebecca and what originally caused Chuck's disease to kind of onset set the show has not really set up the ladder that's more of us talking on this podcast about maybe jimmy was the original source of it or what was the original onset of that disease we haven't seen that on the show that's us saying we would like to see that as far as what goes with rebecca i think the show has left that as more of a loose end uh we saw her chuck trying to play her song in the sheet music and failing and the metronome sort of taunting him like the copy machine noise, by the way, in this episode, Rob was taunting Chuck, uh, like so many of these mechanical noises have taunted him in the past. And we don't really find out what happens with, with Chuck and Rebecca. All we saw was the first time Jimmy met her and we know Jimmy didn't go to the wedding, but we don't know where that progresses. And there was all that stuff about the opera, about the man who falls in love with uh, his brother's wife and all this stuff. That is, that could be just podcast fodder, or it could be that we have story left to tell with Chuck and Rebecca. So I am curious from people who are listening, whether you feel like we need to see it. Cause it sounds like you're saying, Rob, you don't need it. You know what? I feel like that maybe there's enough evidence to point to. I don't think that she got sick and died. I think she left Chuck. I think that we saw in that flashback that Chuck fundamentally did not understand this woman, that you had somebody like a Jimmy come in and immediately he knew what buttons to push with her and he had her laughing and she was telling lawyer jokes by the end of the conversation. And then we saw Chuck try to copy that and try to tell his own lawyer joke and that he failed miserably. And I think that that spoke to that. He just did not know how to make her happy. And I think that she probably left Chuck. And I think that maybe in some way he ties that back to Jimmy. He's like, you know what? I think that, you know, Jimmy came in and oh, so easy for him. And and she like she liked him, not sexually or anything like that, where it was like that he felt like that she was flirting with him. But it seemed like that, you know, it was just uh, just if it was a problem from for him and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And I think that he associates Jimmy somehow with that sort of attitude. Yeah, I think that that's possible. I think there's a lot there for sure about whether or not Jimmy and Chuck kind of what they represented to Rebecca and Jimmy walking in and making her laugh when Chuck was sure that she would hate him. So sure that they needed a signal so that Chuck could politely bail them out of the of the situation. And that didn't come into fruition at all. Like she actually liked him and said, you were wrong. Like that went much better than you said. So where does that go? Do we need to know? Maybe you don't feel like we need to know. And that's fine. I'm curious as to what other people have invested in that or the Jimmy and Chuck angle of Rebecca or that kind of scene, because like the gene stuff, we've seen very little of it. I feel like there's more story to tell there and we're just not seeing it and we haven't seen it yet. But I also feel like it could be wrapped up at the beginning of next episode and we could say bye bye to Chuck, Rob. We could be the end of we could be at the end of the Chuck wagon, if you will. Yeah, I think we certainly could be. Right, let's talk about the Mike side of things. Yes, because uh, we saw that, you know, Mike was working on the hose last week and then we saw that <laughs> please very keep quickly. saying that by the way yeah. <laughs> yeah please keep saying mike is working on the hose because mike, mike was mike was you know working away on his hose last week 
And so uh, we saw at the start of this episode, what did you think of Ninja Mike? Who was the better TV ninja this week? Uh, Mike Ermintrout or Leslie Jones? <laughs> or Leslie Jones. I knew that was coming. Uh, well, both were strangely effective in their own way. And so. they both had the same identical outfit on. Yes. And they, they looked the same build in their ninja outfit. So they may have, Mike may have doubled for Leslie or, or vice versa. There may have been some Leslie Jones working stunts for Mike Ermintrout here. Uh, by the way, great ninja work by Mike. That, he found the, the the Hill Valley billboard there where he could hide the car behind. Mm-hmm. This worked out really well for him. And no one else happened to be on that stretch of road at the time. Also a very lucky break for Mike. Uh, he had enough time to hog tie a guy, cut into the tires and get away unscathed without another car passing by. This is great stuff for Mike. The stop sticks were terrifying. They slid across the road, the road like a snake. I just was, this all worked out really well, except he didn't kill the guy. And so the guy is not only alive to tell the tale, but a good Samaritan died. And the guy is probably going to die because now the cartel thinks it was an inside job. Mm-hmm. Uh, because why else is that guy not dead? So this is all not going well at all for Mike. This is the the half measure, Mike. This yes, he got two hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Yes, he got to buy a bar, a round of drinks. Yes, he got to engage in a little light Mister Plow based flirtation with the coffee shop waitress. That's all well and good, but at the end of the day, things are not looking great for Mike because this did not go well, and an innocent person died. And I think there's a lot of parallels between Mike and Jimmy. We talked. You said the half measures are really coming to bear but both of them in this case have put a pretty innocent person in the crosshairs because of their own criminal choices that that have kind of spiraled out of control uh, in jimmy's case of course it's chuck and in the case of mike it's this poor good samaritan whose name we don't even learn so that's even worse but that could be a character from the breaking bad universe it couldn't be we'll, we'll just we'll it remains to be seen i guess if that ties in but it's just it's not a great night for mike yeah. even though he got the 225k because he's just deeper and deeper into this mess now all because he wouldn't kill tuco to begin with yeah wow so but he did end up with a lot of money i feel like that you know other than buying the round of drinks like i think that was overall a pretty good win for mike but yeah the uh, finding out that an innocent person got killed uh big bummer but what's mike's next move now does he need to go ahead he says he was done with hector but now it seems like that there's more work to be done for Mike. Well, there were a couple of really great things. I'm interested to know, first of all, from you, did you feel like the big problem in all this was that Mike really wanted the police to be involved somehow? And once the police got involved, the trail would lead back to that business. And Mike would have blown up the whole business ultimately by getting the cops involved and sniffing all that out. Why couldn't he just call and leave an anonymous tip, Rob? <sighs> Yeah, because uh, he doesn't get the 225k, of course, right? Yeah, I mean that that's uh, certainly possible if that's the case. Um, but in terms of, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he doesn't trust the system. He doesn't think that they're going to do anything. He thinks that maybe Hector's going to be able to talk his way out of it. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, that that that's the same ending, whether or not he sends them that way with a truck heist or sends them that way with an anonymous tip with details about the truck. I think the problem with Mike is 
he wants to have his cake and eat it too, but he doesn't want to bake the cake. He doesn't want to actually do the dirty work. He doesn't want to, I mean, not that the stop sticks aren't dirty work, but he doesn't want to do the wet work. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He doesn't want to kill anybody. He wants to try to use the police through some convoluted way to get them to go investigate the business. He wants to use the police to ultimately get Tuco arrested. This is Mike putting, I think, too much faith in the system. And really what we need to see from Mike and what we ultimately know we will see from Mike is putting no faith in the system and taking all of this into his own hands. And I think that's the mic we know from Breaking Bad. I think we're seeing at this point, you know, we keep to keep we have to keep in mind Mike is a police officer. That's where that's who he is when he comes to this series and as a police officer feels really guilty about the murders he did commit while he was a police officer and I think the only way he can really excuse those is he was avenging his son's death that he felt responsible for. So now he's not killing people, but by the time he gets to Breaking Bad, he has no problems pulling that trigger. So what gets him there? I It's got to be stuff like this. It's got to be that innocent people get killed when you try to go about it a different way. You might as well be a criminal. Even if you're going to be a good criminal, you might as well be an effective one. And I think that's the struggle we're seeing out of Mike. I don't think he wants to pull that trigger, but if he doesn't, he's causing more damage than if he does. Uh, because if he pulls the trigger, he's only killing a bad guy, not an innocent person. So I think that that's really hey, difficult for Mike. He's like Batman. He really is a little. We've compared Mike to Batman a lot. Uh, Batman has a no kill policy, uh, depending on what movies you're watching, by the way. Uh, terrible movie, Batman versus Superman. But uh, but Mike has the same no kill policy right now. We know it goes out the window. I think we might be seeing what causes it to go out the window. I want to ask you, Rob, what did you make of uh, how Hector Salamanca took that bad news? Yeah, it did seem like that he was on the brink of where he was having some sort of an attack, uh, not like Chuck ended up having, but there was a, you know, a split screen shot on the story sync of how Hector deals with bad news. Uh, it did look like, are we going to see him like have a stroke right here and sort of like uh, become the Hector from Breaking Bad? But I wonder maybe that's foreshadowing for something that's going to be coming, whether it's in the finale or maybe in a season or two. Yeah, I'm wondering that as well. I mean, would you be satisfied? Would that be poetic justice for you? We've talked a lot about how we've had, and we've had people ask us, is Mike going to be the one who puts, who puts Tuker or puts Hector into this wheelchair? Is Mike going to be the one responsible for the Hector we know from Breaking Bad? And it doesn't seem like he could make Hector have a stroke directly. But it sure seems from tonight's episode like he could do it indirectly. So I don't know. I think that would be nice and poetic. Uh, it's almost too on the nose. So, but maybe, you know, maybe it all ultimately will play out really well. It's uh, one of those things where Breaking Bad uh, would just nail this sort of thing. And it feels like Better Call Saul might be setting that up. I mean, what are the chances that you could see Chuck and Hector Salamanca share a hospital room? <laughs> it's a very, a very valid question. Uh, it's a very valid question. And I, I think that there's not it's a non-zero chance, although I don't I don't think it will be happening by the end of this season uh, so that would put him in a difficult spot but that would be really really funny uh, I don't I don't know how does Hector feel about electromagnetism and how does Chuck feel about the drug cartels is this is hmm. this gonna mash well we're gonna have a nice mix up here yeah who could say who could say well yeah who could say it, it but I mean it is it is interesting because uh, Stephen like I said Stephen Pimentel had emailed us and asked about maybe Mike's the one who's getting ready to put Hector in the wheelchair uh, and I think that I think that the more overt hand is not not an easy link to put for a guy who's clearly there because of a stroke. He can't talk, things like that. But I think 
that there's a very good possibility that being angry about what's happening with Mike, because I don't believe Mike for a second that he's done with this. He's not going to walk away from this. Something's got to happen in this season finale with Mike. And whether or not he feels like Hector really forgot about him or not, I don't know. But I, I just don't think we're done with Mike and the Salamancas, for sure. Yeah, it did seem like they are foreshadowing that, that Mike is going to have something to do uh, with all this. Do you think, is there any way that we have crossover between Mike's story and Jimmy's story in the finale? In terms of the Chuck stuff with Jimmy? Yeah, in terms of where we're going to go, where, you know, is there any way that these two characters are involved in each other's story in the finale. Gosh, what if, uh, see, the thing is, Jimmy doesn't really know that Mike has the dark, dark side that Mike has. I think he sees him. He thought Mike was afraid of Tuco. Uh, he really thought that, that that's why Mike was going to say that the gun wasn't his, that Mike was afraid of Tuco. And Jimmy tried to say, I was, I'm afraid of that guy too. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. That's not the case at all. So Jimmy doesn't know that Mike has this dark passenger. What does Mike know about Jimmy? That he's a lawyer who can kind of help Jim- Mike get out of tight spots with the police or with the, the law enforcement people. I just don't see how those two stories connect in the finale. Uh, Jimmy's going to be caught up with Chuck, seemingly caught up with everything that's going there, maybe paperwork, HHM, his commercial, all of that stuff with Kim, the fallout from this incident. If Jimmy knew that Mike was a kind of a dark guy, he might call him up and say, can you bring a pillow to the hospital to smother my brother? But I don't I don't see Jimmy doing that. He's not going to make that call to Mike. He doesn't know that about Mike. So I don't know. I don't see any way for them to cross over. Do you? I don't see it, but I kind of feel like that I wouldn't be surprised to have some sort of, at least in the final scene, to have some sort of like a crossover because I mean, we've really been watching almost two different stories other than that those couple of times that they were in the same room. Yeah, uh, and I, it is it is weird. I mean, this is a I think a lot of people are saying the the best of this season, and it isn't just because it ended on a WTF moment. It's because we had a quintessential Mike Caper kind of working out. He's got, he's designed this thing. We've seen him designing for a couple of episodes. It plays out really well. How he uses the stop sticks, the payoff to what happened with the driver and all his surveillance. He found out they're probably keeping the drugs in the wheels. He knows when to hit the truck. That's all a great payoff. We had a great comedic scene with Jimmy and the film crew uh, in the lot at the school. So that's the Jimmy McGill comedic scene. We had the great stuff with Kim and Jimmy and then with Kim, Jimmy and Chuck and Jimmy and Chuck. And then we did have the WTF moment. So all of that is great. But that doesn't Jimmy doesn't talk in this episode, Rob, until almost 25 minutes in. Yeah, I had that in my notes, too. I think, yeah, it was like 722 here on the West Coast before Jimmy had a meaningful scene. Yeah, I mean, he pops up in the background when Chuck is leaving the house. And that's when, you know, Jimmy's sneaking in and replacing the papers. But he's not he's not speaking until he and Kim are cleaning up that that place. And I think that that's really interesting because the show was great up till then. I didn't feel like those 22 minutes sucked or dragged or anything. Uh, that was, it was awesome stuff. Uh, it, we had the horrible scene with Chuck in the, the hearing and we had Mike with his great caper. So all of that is awesome, but Jimmy's not involved. So this is a show that I think has found a way to exist without Jimmy and Mike needing to be together. And I think that they don't need to come together in the finale for it to be a successful season for the two of them. And I do believe that the parallels between the two in terms of what they're experiencing as a result of their decisions are clear enough that the characters are together in a way, even if they're not together on screen. Going back to Jimmy's commercial, this is the second week in a row we spent meaningful screen time with Jimmy working on getting a shot in his commercial. 
it seems like there's a lot of time that we've spent on this. And while it's a very fun scene and you have to be like dying when he's talking about Rupert Holmes and the Pina Colada song and everything going on there. I mean, is this just a showcase for Bob Odenkirk, these scenes that he does where they're trying to get the stuff at the commercial? Or do you think that there is a bigger storyline or plot that's coming out of this? Yeah, I really think the gut punch out of the commercial is going to be where he is when he sees it. If he's in the hospital when he sees it, that will be a huge gut punch. Uh, I could also see the commercial being the cold open for next episode. Mm-hmm. That we just It just starts. And here we are in Better Call Saul land. His commercials are very important to him. Uh, we know from the gene scenes, which take place after the chronology of Breaking Bad, that Jimmy's watching, their gene is watching the commercials in sort of black and white, uh, it, it drinking by himself as a way to kind of, I guess, keep himself happy uh, because he's in this gene horrible life. And that was the, the time when he felt the most him. We know that he's balked at the issues with Davis and Maine and their commercials and their stodgy kind of stuffed shirt just words over a weird background with a voiceover. And so this is his kind of emerging from the chrysalis and making his first commercial that's going to be the most like Saul Goodman that we've seen. And and how that lands in the in the context of this episode is going to ma- matter a lot. And I really think that the best way to have that land in a gut punch kind of way is for him to see it in the hospital and for him not to get the pleasure out of it that he was going to get because of what's happening and how he's so torn up with Chuck. Uh, I really think that that could be a big way for that to land. So I, I think we'll have to see how that plays out, but I do think we're going to see it next episode. It's been very much telegraphed. You want to get into some of the questions? Yeah, let's get into some of the questions here because that'll probably drive us through whatever else there is to hit on this episode. And not our heads on the side of our respective desks. Yes, we don't want to hit the ground. We don't want to be ground, Chuck. No, no, we do not. <laughs> no, we definitely don't want to have that happen. But it's uh, it's really unfortunate for Chuck. If this is the end for Michael McKean, if he never speaks another line on this show, um, it will be kind of a role that was much derided, I think, in season one. We didn't want enough. We didn't want we didn't want enough of Chuck. Uh, we we had enough of Chuck. We didn't want any more of Chuck than they were giving us. But by the end of this season, I feel like Chuck's really coming to his own. A lot of the times he's really right about Jimmy, even when he seems crazy. Uh, other times he's maybe got a blind spot for Jimmy. I think that's all worked out pretty well, and that leads us into Jeff Probe's question. Jeff says, how badly did you feel for Chuck? And I don't mean just the ending. I mean the opening when he braved that appearance only to be completely made a fool of by Jimmy's fraud. It definitely was uncomfortable to watch. And I was rooting against Jimmy in that moment, Jeff says. What about you, Rob? Were you rooting against Jimmy in that moment? No, I don't think I was rooting against him. But you do feel for Chuck just as a human in terms of not only did he get outflanked, but he also is in a lot of physical pain. So I don't think that that's that fun to watch. Yeah. And uh, I think as far as a Chuck check goes, I think that that's a, I really, it was very difficult to watch because I knew that it, it was difficult to watch him correcting the clients. That was the hardest part for me because I knew he was wrong. I knew why he was wrong. I knew why he was sure that he was right. And none of that was his fault. And that was really, really hard to watch. I don't know. I've never seen a more moving banking commission hearing. Rob. I'll tell you <laughs> yes, that. Yes, very moving. Very moving. <laughs> it's the most humiliating moment of Chuck's professional career. It was. And I can sense that. This is a guy who prides himself on being detail oriented. He had just really was talking about the bank being detail oriented. And the, the guy was giving the statement about the bank priding themselves on that. And here Chuck comes in, having given that speech last week about why HHM was the right firm for them. 
just blowing it and it, it, eating it. And it was really hard to watch. But it was so hard for Chuck because that Jimmy attacked him where he felt like he was infallible while his body was betraying him. His mind never would. Attention to detail was always his strong suit. And that's where he attacked him. He made him feel like he was crazy. Like there's no way he would ever make that mistake. And he had to have that mistake be made in a public hearing where everybody's like, boy, I guess Chuck made that mistake. That was sort of like an obvious mistake. I guess Chuck wasn't paying attention. I think that that was the most painful part of the whole thing for Chuck. Yeah, I think you're. I think that's a great observation. I think you're 100 percent on point with that. Is that he 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 has worked by lantern light, but it has not let him down, and it did not let him down in this case. He did everything he was supposed to do. He was dead solid sure of it, and it was just wrong because of fraud and fraud that his blind spot was trusting his brother enough to let his brother have a key to his house, mm-hmm. and that's that's tough, man. That's really tough to have that be your realization at the end of the day and, and to be working with that realization and then to crack your head like that. Oh boy. As, as Rich Tackenberg would say here on our SNL podcast. Oh boy. Like, Oh boy. Like that's just really, it's really hard to watch. Uh, it's really hard to watch that play off for Chuck. Okay. Let me give you a question from uh, David peaks wants to know, will Mike pull the trigger on Nacho? Nacho has been a, you know, pretty benevolent sort of bad guy in this show. I think he was more menacing in season one, whereas in season two, we've gotten to know him better. He's sort of like at least the good cop that Mike has dealt with in terms of, you know, the Tucos and the Hector Salamancas of the world. Do you think that Mike will kill Nacho? No, I don't think so. I think that... It, it, it it's great that Mike made good with Nacho when he gave him a share of the money that Hector Salamanca gave gave Mike for not you know sticking with the gun story. Mike calls not gets Nacho and gives him the money, and as a result, Mike gets this courtesy visit from Nacho. He didn't he didn't have to have that. Nacho could have been loyal to the cartel or to to the Salamancas and said, you know what, I think I might know who did it. Let me give you my reasoning why. This guy left him alive, and and I don't know why you know he left him alive, but maybe it's an amateur. Maybe it's not as professional as we're thinking. Maybe it's that guy who he gave the 50K to, and I don't know. Maybe that puts Nacho's neck on the line a little too much for Nacho. Maybe Nacho doesn't want to you know put that out there because he feels like Hector might sniff that out. But Mike is pretty upfront with Nacho about this. Like, it was just me. I did it. He didn't hear anything. <laughs> like, you know, he's telling Nacho pretty much everything that happened and trusting him. And either Mike's doing that because he does trust Nacho because of this sort of shared fact that they have about how Nacho wanted to come at the Salamancas and Nacho's doing the side business and Mike feels that's enough. Or Mike's doing that because he knows he can always just kill Nacho. But look, if Mike's not willing to kill Tuco, I don't see how he's going to be willing to kill Nacho. I don't Mm -hmm. see that. Uh, The other thing is there is some belief among people that Nacho is referenced in Breaking Bad. We have not had a full confirmation that it's the exact same character. There's someone with the same name. Ignacio, who when Saul is taken out to the desert, he says, who sent you as an Ignacio? And so it could be the same guy, could be a different guy. We don't know. And so does Nacho survive through Better Call Saul? I don't think we have confirmation from Breaking Bad. And I think any character like that certainly subject to getting killed. Uh, Nacho's way more likely to die than Tuco or Hector. But I don't think Mike's going to pull the trigger on Nacho. Certainly not this season. Could it get there when Mike is willing to make those choices? Absolutely. This season, I don't see it. 
What about from David Baltazar, who wants to know, do we know for sure the time period of the Cinnabon scenes? Is it after the Breaking Bad timeline, or is it possible that Cinnabon could be pre-Breaking Bad? Well, yeah, as I was just saying, we, we know Gene is watching the Saul Goodman commercials, so we know that that's after. It makes very little sense in terms of, unless that was a huge swerve that we would see that the Gene scenes took place at any other point other than after the events of Breaking Bad. Johnny D. Silvera writes in and says, Dear Robin Antonio, what can Kim be charged with knowing that Jimmy did and still did nothing about? So I think the question is, you know, knowing what Jimmy did and not doing anything about it, that can Kim be charged with anything criminally, knowing that Jimmy did commit the fraud and didn't do anything about it? And the answer is probably... She could potentially get a criminal charge out of it, depending on what level of fraud is involved, whether the police want to be involved with Jimmy's fraud. She could be charged as some sort of accessory or accomplice to this fraud uh, because she knew the details of it. But I don't think she really knows. I don't think that I mean, you, you talk about charge with versus prove. I don't think there's anything to prove that Kim affirmatively knows. There are no conversations. There's nothing. She's playing this sort of game where, She's acting like she doesn't really know what's going on, doesn't want to talk about it. And so it's the sin of omission rather than commission. As far as the bar goes and as far as the ethics of her profession goes, that's a lot uh, different of a question. Um, And I think Chuck is sort of making allegations that speak to the fact that Kim needs to report this or she's going to have ethical issues if she doesn't report it. Again, she doesn't really know exactly what happened. She knows that Chuck had a crackpot theory about what happened, but she doesn't know the truth. And if she does know it, it's only because she believes it in her heart. She has no evidence that's pointing her that way. And I think as a lawyer, you learn to put a lot of stuff aside in terms of or in defense of or in pursuance of what is what evidence is there what you, you can't speculate beyond evidence and in her particular case i don't think there's any evidence that she knows that chuck's theory is right it's all her gut and that doesn't prove anything so i think she's probably in the clear but she's in some very dangerous territory with the uh you know do whatever it takes to cross your eyes and die your to cross your t's and die your eyes do whatever it takes nothing for him to find i think that's when you get a little more questionable for Kim. So I think she's in the clear, but I, what's on her conscience, Johnny, is a much different matter. And then also on top of it, I do think that we have Kim is linked to Jimmy in some ways, which are not necessarily, you know, complete deal breakers, but she is like going to share this office with him. Like her practice is in major trouble and cannot exist on its own based on what we've seen in the show without Jimmy. So if Jimmy were to be disbarred or brought up on charges, this would have major ramifications on her, even if she wasn't directly linked to those charges. Yeah, well, that's a, that, that leads me into a really good question for you, Rob. This is from Tara S. Tara tweeted at us and asked, isn't it out of character for Kim to ignore knowing what Jimmy did to get Mesa Verde back? And I guess the, the question is, is it out of character for you? Or do you think that she's in a position now because of all the choices she's made with Jimmy throughout the season? This is really the only choice she can make. Well, she's really over a barrel now because, uh, you know, she is now going out on her own. I mean, this is really the one client that she got. She worked so hard to get this client and she feels like this opportunity fell into her lap and she wants it so badly and she doesn't want to think about what her life is going to be like to not have it. She can imagine 
oh, I have to hire these paralegals and I just have this one outcome that's in front of me, which is so good. I really don't care how badly what I have to do to get this. That I, I can just pretend that these things didn't happen and sort of just compartmentalize that, you know, I did this, I got this client and it was because of Jimmy that I lost it because Chuck tried so hard to spite his brother that I lost it. And so it's only fair that Jimmy ended up getting one over on Chuck to get it back for me. It was mine in the first place. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think the important thing is that Mesa Verde came to HHM because of Kim. She brought it in. She worked the, the connection with Paige. She brought them in and she did a, she did a great thing there. She ultimately took a, a Mesa Verde from HHM with her great kind of bespoke tailored suit pitch to the Mesa Verde people. And, and that all worked out really well for her. So at the end of the day, it's a zero, it's just a zero, zero thing where yes, she did lose them ultimately, but you're right because of Jimmy. So if she got them back because of Jimmy, then she's right back where she started, where they're only there to begin with because of her. So I think that's the first thing. I think Tara's asking the question, though, because what we know of Kim throughout the course of this season is Kim saying to Jimmy, I don't want to know this. I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about the unethical things. Kim basically taking a very ethical stance and saying, I'm not going to do that. Kim saying, you don't save me. I save me. And yet here is Jimmy saving Kim. Uh, but I think you're right. I think it's a matter of perception. And I think it's very easy to change your perception when things are looking looking really good for you, when you've got to hire your paralegals, when they are coming crawling back to you. It's very easy to change your perception. And I also believe, Rob, that the speech that Kim gives Chuck is not a lie. That Kim does feel like Chuck unfairly persecutes Jimmy. That Kim does feel like, okay, yeah, maybe Jimmy does bad things, but they're because of you. They're because of how you treat him. And so I think that at the end of the day, she feels like Chuck is more of a villain than Jimmy in this arrangement. And therefore, maybe she benefits from Jimmy's behavior, but the ultimate villain in this story is Chuck. And the only reason Jimmy's like that is because of Chuck and F Chuck. I want this business. It's mine. I earned it. And here we are. So I think that it's not so much out of character as it really is kind of a more rich kind of angle for the character where she's even more layered. She's not just this one track um, stick up her butt, like following all the rules person. She's capable of containing multitudes, Rob. And some of those multitudes have to do with moral choices that she is making because of how she feels about the situation that's in front of her. I think it's great character. I think Ray Sehorn is crushing it as Kim this season awesome stuff had one of the best scenes of the night in the show that had a many amazing scenes so fantastic work by her just great character stuff for kim i wouldn't say out of character i'd say it's an evolution of the character that makes a lot of organic sense to me from the course of this season hashtag voting blocks hashtag voting blocks yes it's an evolution of the game rob in the scene that we saw where it was going to be jimmy and kim and they were in bed right before leading into that scene we had another lingering shot of the toothbrushes it feels to me like this has been a theme i feel like we've seen especially in terms of kim and with jimmy three or four times this season about brushing their teeth we had the scene in the hotel room where Jimmy didn't have a toothbrush. He had to use his finger. He wanted to use Kim's toothbrush. Here we have the toothbrushes, the two toothbrushes again. And it was sort of like in silhouette, but we saw Jimmy's toothbrush and Kim's toothbrush together. They also cohabitate a dentist's office. They were taking the <laughs> dentist chairs out 
what is there any significance? I mean, it can't just be, all be a coincidence with the toothbrushes. Maybe the dentist part is, but with all of these toothbrushes that we're seeing between Jimmy and Kim, what is the significance of that to you? I, I haven't really put a, a ton of things together on that. I think that when, when we kind of talked a little bit last week about is there significance of the dentist's office or what's going on with that office, you're right that the toothbrush thing is there, uh, and it's definitely not unintentional, I don't think, that we've had several toothbrush moments. You can look at the two toothbrushes as a way of showing that now that Jimmy doesn't live in corporate housing, he and Kim essentially cohabitate. Where else mm-hmm. does Jimmy live? He lives in the back of the nail salon. Like, that's his only other apartment. So, yeah, he's going to crash with Kim as long as they're on good terms. And he's crashing with her enough that he's got a toothbrush there now. So on the surface level, I think that's there. On the secondary level, I don't know. You can get into discussions about teeth, about yeah. dreams, about teeth, about what they involved, how teeth decay over time unless you pay these attention to them uh, and how they can really rot from the inside out. Um, and something can happen at the core and expand to the whole tooth and then you lose the whole tooth and then you have to get some sort of fake one in place. I mean, there's a lot you can get into with teeth. We can do a lot of teeth theory, Rob, but I'm not sure that that's really I'm not sure we're really there on this podcast yet. But it is very present with two of these people. And there's there's just kind of this ongoing story between the two of them. I don't know. I don't really know where it goes out. Do you have a, a better theory about what all this represents? No, I don't really have any sort of theory other than I think that you're right. It might just be some sort of shorthand for the intimacy of that they're living together and that they both have a toothbrush in the same place. And I think that that's probably the simplest answer. I don't know if there's any greater metaphor there, but this is Better Call Saul. This is a Vince Gilligan show. So there's often more than meets the eye. Yeah, and I mean, it is in a show where you're doing the toothbrushes and as you say, doing the dentist's office, the two things... They, they don't happen in a vacuum. The, the, right, the same writer is writing both of those scenes. And there's one person or, or multiple, Peter Golden, Vince Gilligan, overseeing the whole course of the series. So there's conversations, I'm sure, that are occurring about the dentist's office and the teeth and all of it. And I'm sure that that stuff mostly exists in the world of metaphor, with some of it being shorthand, like we're talking about. But I think like the color theory, like the things that we've seen that we've tracked in the past, I think we should track other references to teeth, other references to dental stuff, uh, because it, it could come into play. I mean, that shark-like grin that Jimmy McGill constantly is putting up as, as Saul Goodman uh, in commercials and later on down the line, um, it is very tooth forward. So who knows what that means uh, for his polished veneers, Rob, uh, whether it's something that's phony on the, uh, you know, it seems fine on the inside or on the outside, but it's phony on the inside uh, and we're going to see that about jimmy mcgill i don't know um but with with kim i just think that that i think that's interesting the tooth toothbrushes and how he's kind of because he lost the corporate housing slid right in uh, to the cohabitating that he wasn't doing before and this is a guy with really nothing going on so i don't know it's uh, it's not going to go well if you're cohabitating with a person sharing a bed and they don't want to talk now or ever about this horrible thing that happened and then it gets even worse mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe going to be down to one toothbrush by season's end rob oh boy oh boy is right i can see a scenario where they share an office but they're not a couple and i think that that could be our season three story with kim uh that they have to share expenses but they're not on good terms because of the horrible elephant in the room that is chuck's untimely demise or unfortunate injury and so i could see that playing out for sure uh, Antonio, anything else about the episode that you noticed tonight 
One thing from the episode and then one possible tease from next week, Rob. So the only other thing from the episode that I don't think we really hit, we didn't give enough time to Lance and how funny that scene was between he and Jimmy, but I think we've pretty much covered because that ends in tragedy. So we're just going to have to see how that plays out. But the stuff with the film crew scene, I think it was a very intentional shot that was made to look like a crossing of Abbey Road, the famous Beatles album Mm -hmm. cover. Uh, I think that seeing Jimmy and his film crew crossing that street like that, that Jimmy's even wearing a suit similar to Paul McCartney, even though he's got his shoes on. I think that there's definitely an intended parallel there. And, and what would that parallel be just in terms of the shot composition? Or do you think that there's some metaphor there? Well, so the shot composition is is definitely intended. The, as far as the metaphor goes, you can get into this if you really want to. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of. Paul and Saul were very similar names in the Bible. Uh, Paul is who is dressed like that in the Abbey Road album cover. There are some theories about Abbey Road that point to the Paul is dead thing, where one of the characters is dressed like a grave digger, one is dressed like a preacher, one is dressed like a corpse, and one is dressed like a pallbearer. Gene is dead. Gene is dead. We could get into, we could, and Ethley Bailey could make an appearance, Rob, to analyze all these clues. We could have a crossover from the People versus OJ, FX to AMC. No, I just, you could really unpack that if you wanted to, but I think it was more just a kind of, uh, oh, it's a little image nod to that to the album cover of Abbey Road. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit of a theory, a fan theory that's been uh, making the rounds this week for Better Call Saul. I think a lot of people may not have heard about this yet. Okay. that We talked about how last season, all of the episodes except for Alpine Shepherd Boy all ended with the letter O last season we never quite understood what the significance was of that this season they appeared to have dropped that convention but because of that that has led to a a new theory making the rounds on the internet this week antonio what do you think of this new theory well i i mean i like it so in breaking bad there's at least one season that the episode titles ultimately end up season revealing two. The, yes and i don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't watched but there there are some key moments there that all ultimately come together when you look at the episode title so that is a really great payoff it was one of the first shows i think ever to really do an easter egg like that and so People probably expect the same from Better Call Saul, and that's especially bolstered by the fact that you're right. In season one, the episodes all had the O, except for Alpine Shepherd Boy, which should have been called Jello, but couldn't get cleared, so they had to call it something else, uh, and they couldn't come up with an O title, and so here we are. Now in season two, there really isn't a consistent kind of thing. We have Cobbler, we have Switch, we have Gloves Off, we have Nailed, we have Inflatable, Rebecca, Fifi. Uh, we have Amarillo, we have Bali High. So these are the, the titles. And next week's episode is titled Click, which you might think should be spelled C-L-I-C-K. That would be how you spell the word click. In this case, next week's episode is actually spelled K-L-I-C-K, the more kind of military reference to the word click, meaning like a kilometer. And so that and beginning with a K led some fan to put together this theory that Maybe the first letters of all the episode titles were an anagram, an anagram, not an acronym. So they don't spell anything out when they're arranged in the order that they've aired. But if you take the first letters from each episode and you mix them up and you start the list with Fifi, then you go into Rebecca, Inflatable, Nailed, Gloves Off, Switch, Bally High, Amarillo, Cobbler, and Kick, you end up with a two-word phrase, Rob. And what is that two-word phrase? Frings back. Frings back. Oh boy. Fan fiction. 
I'm like a storyteller. That's what I do. <laughs> I, I'm out on this. I'm out on Fring's back. You're you're out on Fring's back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out on Fring's back too. And that means we're both going to look just silly as all get out. And Reddit's going to win once again when Gus Fring shows up at the end of next episode. Yeah. Let's play with let's play with it for one second, Rob. Okay. As far as the story goes, how does Gus Fring come into this story as we know it right now? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I've seen some uh, a theory on Reddit right now where people are saying that Ernesto looks like Gus Fring and Ernesto is Gus Fring's kid. Which we don't. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot going on there because we don't really know if Gus Fring had kids. He makes a reference to it at one point, but we also know there were some interesting feelings that Gus had for uh, his hermano, his chicken brother. So I don't know where that all plays out. What about with Mike? Is there is Mike far off along in this story in opposition to the Salamancas, who we know are Gus Fring's sworn enemies, that Mike and Gus Fring, that maybe Gus has been watching from afar, and maybe Mike thinks there were no witnesses, but maybe there was one witness, Rob. Could you see that coming into play? It's certainly possible. I mean, I think it's more likely to come on the Mike side than on the Jimmy side. Look, it's it's possible. And we've theorized that maybe Gus Fring could be a factor all season long. We that it, we talked about that it could be happening. Uh, I don't know that this anagram, if the episodes were in the order where it was Fring's back, I think that that'd be one thing. But then to you have to unscramble the first letters of all these different words. I, I don't know. I feel like that it seems like a stretch to me. It seems like a reach. Wouldn't it be too obvious, though, if they were in the right order? Like, wouldn't we have found Maybe. figured that out by episode five? Maybe. I think so. Uh, it's certainly possible. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, you can't complete the... You can, <laughs> you can spell Fring's back with just a C and no K without click. So click being the last one. Uh, there may be some significance there. That's the only thing I will say is like you, I believe that it, it, it could be cooked up. But the fact that the last episode let's is cook. the last... Let's cook, Rob. Let's goodbye, baby blue. Let's do this. I think the fact that the last episode is the K that completes the the phrase. I think that is the only thing yeah. that makes me feel like we might have that it starts with a K. And also, I do think that some of these episode titles are reaches also in terms of so I, like I would say inflatable. About, yeah, I'm not talking about the reach toothbrush either. So I would say <laughs> that I'm I'm out on this, but I'll say I'm like 70 percent out. And I feel like that there's a 30 percent chance this could be real. I'm not going to pound the table and say absolutely not. No way. If it is real, you're not going to be angry, are you? No, I won't be angry. That's good. And I won't either. I I will actually give them credit if it is real that they pulled something like that off. Even though you're right, it is a little much to have to go through and unscramble them. I feel like what has happened with this show, with Breaking Bad, is they set the bar where there could be an Easter egg in the episode titles of the season. With episode With season one of Better Call Saul... They set the bar where they know that the audience knows that they're playing with episode titles. In that case, they were going to end every single one with O, and they only didn't do one. And they're probably okay because it drew attention to the fact that they were doing something funky with the episode titles. Mm -hmm. So here we are in season two, knowing that they've given us an Easter egg in episode titles before, and knowing that they've done something weird with episode titles on Better Call Saul. It would work for me if this is true. Uh, If it's not true, uh, that's fine. I'm not going to be disappointed if we don't get Gus Fring next episode. My only point, I guess, about all this is if this is an accident, which it it very well could be, it's a cosmic accident that doesn't really help the show. It really makes the show like, 
continues that thing where people want it to be more Breaking Bad than not, and people want it to tie in more than it does, and people are expecting more of that, and as a result, not appreciating the character work with Jimmy and Kim and Chuck, and not caring about that, and just wanting the Mike story, and wanting that to get to Breaking Bad as soon as possible. This would be a very unfortunate coincidence for the show fighting that off if this is the case. And it, and it very well could be. I think if Gus comes into this story, has to be through Mike. I think it could be something. It could be something as simple as you know, Mike and and Jimmy meet at the end of the episode to compare notes about something, and they meet at Poyos, and there's Gus behind the counter. Yeah, uh, and that's the way we get Gus Frank. We don't get Gus being involved in any of the stories from this season. We just see an appearance, and then we wonder as we go into season three, is he going to show up again? If so, how? If so, when? If so, why? Maybe somebody sees the commercial uh, and something gets involved. That seems like the very last thing that Gus Frank would do is call the guy that airs that TV commercial. So I don't know exactly how that plays out, but I could see him just showing up, but maybe not being tied into the story. If he's tied into the story, has to be with Mike and the Salamancas, and it has to be that he was watching all along and knows what Mike was up to and got the drop on Mike, brings him in because he wants to talk to him. Why didn't you kill him? What did you do? What is your business with the Salamancas? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That being said, in Breaking Bad, that I believe that Gus is brought in as Jimmy's contact who he sets up with Walt and Jesse. Hey, I know a guy who is looking to, you know, buy what you're selling. And I think that Jimmy is the one who makes that connection. That is true. And the question I think that that people have been asking throughout Breaking or throughout Better Call Saul is, is that Jimmy's connection through Mike? Does Jimmy know a guy who knows a guy? Uh, and is Mike the guy that Jimmy knows that knows Gus? Because Mike ultimately works for Gus as much as he works for Jimmy. Maybe they're just three best friends. The three best friends that anyone could have? Yes. Yeah, that could possibly be. That could possibly be. I guess we don't really know. But you're right. There, It could go either way. It could be that, that if Gus comes into this show, which I think will ultimately happen, it will happen via Jimmy. But I think it's just as likely with the story that we've got so far for it to come in via Mike. Okay. All right. Antonio, what's the hashtag this week? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. What do we say? <laughs> I laugh when I said Chuck Wagon because I never thought of that before. What else do we say? Uh, how about hashtag Ed Vaguely? Ed Vaguely. That came into play as well. Ed Vaguely. Frames back. Clip. You don't want to jinx it, right? We don't. We can't jinx it. We can't jinx it. We can't jinx it. But I like Ed Vaguely. Chuck Wagon. I think I like, I like that. Chuck Ground Chuck. We got that. So yeah, any of those. Ground Chuck is tough also. that's that's. Uh, it might be too soon. Too soon, too soon, uh, too soon. He hit the side of his head, Rob. I think he's going to be okay. okay. I don't think he's going to die. Okay. you not get well, Chuck. We could do get well, Chuck. Let's go with that. Let's go with that. We, do we want that to happen, though? Do we want to will that into being? Do we want more Chuck on this show? Yeah, I kind of want to be, uh, you know, done with. Chuck. I think that's going to really move everything forward uh, when we say goodbye to Chuck, but we'll see. So uh, adios, we'll see. adios, Chuck, then. Let's Adi- go with that. Adios, Chuck. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Antonio, great work once again. Next week, we'll be together after the finale. Uh, Can't wait to see how it goes. Uh, This was a really, really exciting episode, and uh, I think there should be some more fireworks next week. Yeah, the gloves are off, Rob. The switch has been switched. Things are nailed. Things are coming together here. Things are really blowing up. They're inflatable, if you will. Yes. All right, so uh, we'll be back next week. Looking forward to hearing more of your comments on PostureRecaps.com. Thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who edits the Better Call Saul podcast uh we greatly appreciate all of his work uh especially when we record these uh late at night in our loopy 
So thank you, Scott. Anything else, Antonio? Rob, it seems to me like you're indicating that a lot might get edited from this podcast. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing else. No, that's good, Rob. All right. Follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzaro. That's two Z's, one R. I'm at Rob Sisternino. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, go to postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. And we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.